Well, if you would, you can uh, take your bulletin out or keep it out. If you already had it out on the inside, you'll find a little outline that'll help you follow along. Um, Today, with so much going on with the babies and all the extra special announcements, um, I'm going to do my very best. Uh, I really don't want to keep you extra long today. So is it okay if you can listen fast? Can we put on our fast forward ears? Because I may have to go a little quicker than normal with this message so that we're not here uh, too extra late today. But uh, we're continuing, and we're in the second to last Sunday on our summer theme called Heart for the House. How many of you have been enjoying Heart for the House over the summer, right? It's been a good time. In fact, today and then next Sunday, these will be our last two messages on Heart for the House, and then we'll switch gears uh, to a new series coming up mid-August, and we're excited about that. But today, um, we're going to continue to refocus and refresh who we are as a church. What is our heart for the house? What is God's heart for us? And what is our heart uh, for this house, for this church? And I just want to start by a quick, very, very quick review. What is Encounter Church? We have it here on the screen. And why don't we just read it all together? Encounter Church is a diverse family gathered around and united by the presence of Jesus, driven to make disciples, right? That is who we are. And as this diverse family that's gathering around the presence of Jesus, we're driven to make disciples. We have one simple vision, right? And this is what we want to see happen always and in everything we do. That is helping people encounter God, right? That is the vision of Encounter Church. And we say again, that we do this. How do we help people encounter God? By doing three simple things, which are Ah, most of you know it without looking, right? Reach, disciple, and revive. That, if you would say, what is our mission? This is our mission, to reach all kinds of people and lead people into a relationship with Jesus. Make disciples of Jesus who make more disciples of Jesus. Come on, somebody. And we believe that the result of reaching out to our city and making disciples would be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, what most people call a revival. And we believe in the power of revival, right? And We believe we're called to that. And um, we've been talking a whole lot over the past few weeks about being disciples and making disciples. And as we've talked about this, this is the simplest definition of what it means to be a disciple and discipleship that we've been learning. A disciple is a person who follows Jesus. It really is that simple. A person who follows Jesus. Therefore, discipleship is the process of Helping someone follow Jesus. And if you're making disciples of helping someone else follow Jesus, like you've learned to follow Jesus, right? Are we good? Who was here uh, last week? Man, we learned about going fishing, right? About going and reaching people for Jesus. And it was an awesome time that we learned about reaching out to our city, right? And uh, we're so excited that e-groups are going to be restarting here in a few weeks because that's what it's all about. We're here to reach our city. Two weeks ago, I I talked to you about discipleship perks, right? About the benefits of being a Jesus follower. And I know that we learned a lot that Sunday. And today, I want to kind of follow up on that message, the perks of a disciple. And today, I'm going to talk to you about the enemies of discipleship, all right? We learned about D, perks, and today we're going to learn about D, enemies. All right, tell your neighbor, you got to defeat D, enemies, right? 
Today we're going to talk about discipleship enemies. So, the premise of all of this is this. It is possible to start discipleship and then stop. It is possible. In fact, I've seen it all too often and maybe you have too. Where somebody, you knew somebody, and they were following Jesus, and they were all about Jesus. And then all of a sudden you turn around, and it's like, where, where, where'd they go? What happened? And maybe some of us have gone through that before, where maybe at some point in our life we were really following Jesus, and then now we're just really not, right? It is possible. You know, there's a lot of strange teachings out there and, and, and doctrines and stuff. And, and I don't want to confuse anybody with any of that this morning, but, you know, there's... It's real tricky when you say something like once saved, always saved, because I've met people that got saved and then they later on it's like, no, they're not anymore, right? It is possible to start following Jesus and then stop. It, and everybody thinks about Judas, right? Come on, he followed Jesus everywhere. Was he a disciple? He was, in fact, one of the 12 that had been chosen to be a leader, right? And we know what happened with Judas, but Judas wasn't the only one. There were many, many that followed Jesus. And at some point, as they followed, they stopped following. Okay? So it is possible to start being a disciple and then stop. And what today we want to look at are those enemies of discipleship that get people to stop following so that we can defeat those enemies and kick them out of our life. Amen? Because I don't know about you, but I, want, I don't want anything to get me to stop following Jesus. We learned, um, again, two weeks ago from John chapter 8, 31 and 32, that true disciples aren't just those that believe and obey, but true disciples, Jesus said, are the ones that remain, are the ones that believe and obey and then keep on believing and obeying, and then keep on believing and obeying, and believe and obey from now until the end, right? That's what a true disciple is. And I believe that every one of you in here can be a true disciple of Jesus, that's why you're here this morning. Unfortunately, not everyone who starts remains, but you can. And that's why we're going to kick these enemies out today in Jesus' name. Okay? Are y'all good? You ready for enemy number one? Now, each one of these could be an entire sermon, but I'm not going to do that, okay? I'm not going to put you through that. I'm literally going to try to take just two to four minutes with each one. So, don't expect deep details on this. This is going to be an overview of each of these. And I want to ask you something. Okay? Ready? Dig deeper in your own relationship with God. I'm going to give you basic information today, but I'm encouraging you. Dig deeper yourself as you go home this week and kick these enemies out. Enemy number one. Discipleship enemy number one is superficial religion. Superficial religion. Um, in, in Luke chapter 8, I know many of you have probably read or heard this story. Maybe some of you haven't. But Jesus, most of the time when he was uh, teaching the crowds, he would use stories or parables. Okay, so he just used stories to help people understand stuff. And in, in Luke chapter 8, he's telling this story about a farmer who's got his seed. And he's, he goes out and he just starts scattering his seed, you know, planting the seed, right? And it talks about how some seed uh, fell on, on, a, on a footpath, like... And people trampled on it, and some seed fell on the rocks, and some seed fell where there was, like, weeds and thorns, and then some seed fell on the good fertile ground. And then later, a little bit later, as usual, he's off on the side with his disciples, 
and they ask him, Jesus, what did you mean? <laughs> right? And so Jesus, because we learn in discipleship perks, that disciples get the inside scoop, right? Jesus didn't explain everything to everybody, but he did to his disciples. And so he begins to explain it. And the first explanation, let's look at Luke 8, 13. It says, the seeds on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and receive it with joy. Come on, somebody say, believe. Like they believed it, right? But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. So what is superficial religion? It just means it's on the surface. It's an idea, beliefs, theology, good teaching that only makes it to the surface but doesn't take root in our life. Superficial religion likes the ideas of the gospel. Right? Superficial religion likes the ideas of the gospel and might even to a certain extent, go through the motions of religion. But when the going gets tough, they're not tough to get, keep on going, right? Let me just basically say it with this, okay? If I only follow Jesus when it's easy, I'm not going to be following Jesus for too long. But that's what superficial religion is like. I can, do, I can believe all this stuff and say all this stuff and do all this stuff and go to church and do the whole Jesus thing as long as it's not too hard. But when it starts getting hard, if I say, never mind on that, it was just superficial religion. And that is the first enemy of discipleship. If things getting hard can get you to stop following Jesus, are you with me? You will stop following Jesus. Because things will get hard. Following Jesus isn't easy. Following Jesus is counterculture. Following Jesus goes against many of the values and norms of our society. Following Jesus goes against my past life and the way I used to think, right? So following Jesus, will, we, as we follow Jesus, we will be presented with tough things. We will be presented with temptations. We will be presented with opportunities to go, that's too hard, I'm going to give up. And if giving up is an option for you, you will. So how do we defeat the enemy that's superficial religion? Are you ready? What defeats superficial religion? Commitment defeats it. Commitment defeats this enemy. Because commitment says... When the going gets tough, I'm going to keep on going. I'm not going to do this because it's easy or comfortable. I'm going to do this because I'm committed to Jesus no matter what comes. Number two, the second enemy of discipleship is too crowded. You ever been somewhere where it was too crowded and you were like, forget this, I'm out of here. Oh, gosh. Have you ever been to Disney World? Well, when you have children, you can't just say, forget this, it's too crowded, I'm out of here, because then that's even worse. But, oh my gosh, we were at Disney World back in April, and it was like, Jesus, <laughs> I can't breathe almost watching these fireworks, okay? 
Because when things are too crowded, tap your neighbor and say, something's got to go. <laughs> Somebody's got to go. <laughs> this is a continuation of Luke 8, and this is verse 14. The seed that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out. By the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, so they never grow into maturity. You know, you've heard the saying, you can't have your cake and eat it too, right? Well, that's true in a lot of ways. And when it comes to discipleship, it's this. It is impossible to follow Jesus while still trying to hold on to everything that the rest of the world pursues. It is impossible. You just can't. It gets too crowded and something's got to go. And unfortunately, it ends up being Jesus most of the time. If I keep my heart and my life and my desires and my pursuits so full of everything, and Jesus is just kind of added in there as one of them, he's going to eventually be the one that goes. See, to make room for Jesus in your heart is to get rid of the crowd. Is to get rid of everything else. If I am bent on trying to continue to live up to the status quo and have everything that I quote-unquote want and everything that the world says I can and should have, if I insist on having all of that and trying to have Jesus too, it won't work. Come on, say, something's got to go. Just like... I don't know. I mean, I've heard terrible stories. Have you ever seen those videos of when trains derail? Normally when a train derails, it's because there was debris on the tracks, right? There was something on the tracks. The tracks got crowded. And just like debris on train tracks can derail a train, my love for worldly pleasure can derail discipleship. And it might not even be intentional. All of a sudden... You just find, I was going after that, all those things so much that I just stopped going after Jesus. It got too crowded, and Jesus was out of the picture. Too crowded. Just like weeds. Has anybody ever dealt with weeds in your yard? Liz talked about this a couple of weeks ago that, you know, there's a difference between flowers and weeds, right? Flowers. They, they, they suck up the, the water and the nutrients and they produce beauty and so do fruit trees and all that. But weeds, they just suck up all the water and all the nutrients and they take over and the beauty, the beautiful flowers end up what? Dead, right? That's what happens to a person's heart. When we say we want to follow Jesus but we don't get rid of the weeds, we've got to uncrowd our hearts from all the other stuff I want this and this and this and this and this. Oh, and Jesus. It's got to be, I want Jesus and the other stuff. Well, we'll see what happens with all of that. Come on, say, too crowded. So let's uncrowd our hearts. How do we uncrowd our hearts? If too crowded is the enemy, what's the weapon that can defeat this enemy? Focus. We're going to get to priority in a minute. Huh? Focus. Focus. What is focus? Okay, everybody look up here. Is this focus? Squirrel, you know, like, 
Whatever. What is focus? Zeroed in, right, on one thing. If you zero in on Jesus, all that other stuff, it'll find its place. Okay? Focus defeats the enemy of too crowded. Third discipleship enemy, uh-oh, my way or the highway, right? Man, how many times have you heard that, especially nowadays in this culture? It's my way or the highway. And there are so many of us that have that attitude. We might not say that phrase, but by the way we live, it really is my way or the highway, right? Now, this might be, it's between, it's a competition today between number three and number six, to which is the most prevalent in today's society. You, you can help me with that one. But this is definitely one of the most prevalent discipleship enemies nowadays in our westernized version of Christianity. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then Jesus said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Give it up. Can I take it back? No. Take up your cross. You can't take it back because you got to take up something else. You must turn from your selfish ways. And I don't, I'm not sure what translation this, uh, is this the new living? I think this is the new King James that I'm reading. Luke, it says, give up your own way. Okay, take up your cross daily and follow me. When do we have to take up the cross? Just one day when we get saved? No, no, no. Daily giving up my own ways. What, what does the word selfish mean? Because that's what it, selfish ways. What does that mean? It's about me. <laughs> Self. So what I want. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. I mean, isn't it crazy that the result of trying to hang on is the opposite? <laughs> we hold on for dear life and in the end it's just gone. Oh, well. It doesn't matter how hard you try to hold on. In the end, it's gone. If you try to hang on to your weight, you're going to end up losing it anyway. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. Another translation says, if you give up your way for mine, you'll find it. Okay? You'll save it or you'll find it. You'll find true life. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you yourself are lost or destroyed? Can you answer the question? What do you gain? Listen, my way, just being honest, is mediocre at best. Not many people agreed. Or maybe it hurt a little too much. But you need to know something today. Your way, with all due respect, is mediocre at best. If you hang on to your way, you know what? The best possible result would be a mediocre life. I don't know about you, but I don't want that. Isn't it foolish to hang on to something that's mediocre at best, and because I hang on to that mediocre thing, I lose the great thing? We can't have both. It is, I just want to say it like this. I think this is in your outline. Insisting on my way makes it impossible to go his way. Makes it impossible. It 
If Google Maps tells you the quickest way to get from here to the big chicken, and it knows the quickest way, the best way, where there's accidents, where there's traffic, and it's telling you the quickest and the best way, but you insist, nah, I always go this way. I say it because I've done it. <laughs> Google's wrong. I know that this is better. And then you, oh, that's why. <laughs> there was a wreck and I didn't know about it. How could I have known about it? Oh, I should have gone Google's way. In reality, what God has for us, the life that Jesus, not an easy life. There'll be great opposition. There'll be things that you're going to have to go counterculture. But the abundant life that Jesus offers is infinite times greater than the mediocre life and our mediocre ways that we try to hang on to. But we forfeit that which we could have because we hold on to what we want. And it is an enemy of discipleship. Come on, just tell somebody, your way isn't that great anyway. If I want to follow Jesus, I must consciously and intentionally reject my own ways. I must consciously and intentionally reject my own perspectives. I must consciously and intentionally reject my own attitudes. I must consciously and intentionally reject my own habits to embrace all of His. You know, I don't know if you've had this revelation yet, but let me just give it to you. He's always right. And we're most of the time not. You know how you can be always right? Go his way. It's foolish to hold on to what's eventually just going to vanish anyway. There's nothing wiser than giving up our mediocre life for the infinitely greater life. So, let it go. <laughs> it ain't worth it. <laughs> What defeats the enemy of my way or the highway? Surrender. Surrender. I give it all up. It's not about me or my way or what I think or my opinion anymore forever. Somebody got it, number four. Uh-oh. The fourth enemy is, but let me first, let me first. We're still in Luke chapter 9. He said to another person, come follow me. But the, the man agreed. So this guy wanted to follow Jesus, right? But he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I'll follow you. But first let me say goodbye to my family. And Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Listen, when Jesus invites us, let me first is the wrong answer. <laughs> if you're saying, let me, I'll follow you once I do this and this and that. You haven't understood who's inviting you. 
Let me first was the wrong answer, and it is such an answer that so many give today. Yes, Jesus, I want to go your way. I like you. I like what you say and all. I want to be one of, one of your people. But first, let me finish my career. Make X amount of money. Enjoy this relationship a little bit longer. First, let me go here, do this, do that. And Jesus is like, you missed your invitation, buddy. Let me first is the wrong answer. You know, these weren't bad requests, were they? Like, I don't know if his father was about to die or just died. Or uh, m- Most people think he was just saying, let me stay at home until my father dies. And then after I'm done with that season of my life, then I'll follow you. How many people say I'll follow Jesus at a, at a later season in my life? How many of you know that season does not come? Right? But it wasn't, it wasn't a bad request to go kiss my family goodbye. They weren't asking for anything bad. It was a bad attitude. Okay? They weren't bad requests. It was a bad attitude. Because it's a matter of lordship. Now what he says is first. Now, what would have been the right answer I was asking myself this week. Okay, they gave the wrong answer. What would have been the right answer? I think this would have been the right answer. Instead of let me first, it should have been, yes, Jesus, I'll follow you. Now what with all this stuff? Because he would have told them what to do. Hello? If they would have understood this is the Lord calling me, my first answer is, yes, I'm going after Jesus. I trust that he'll show me what to do with my father and my family. Or whatever, apply that to whatever situation you may need to apply it. The right answer is, Lord, now what? Rather than, Lord, let me first. So, what defeats the let me first enemy? Somebody said it earlier. Priority. Jesus must be number one. Or he's number nothing. In fact, all right, Genesis to Revelation, Bible theology. Ready? God can only be first. That's a, that's a biblical principle that can't be broken. God can only be first. And when he's not, he's out. Okay? That's why the firstborn, the tithe, the, all this stuff. God can only be first, okay? And so if either Jesus is yes to you 100%, number one, you're my priority, and everything else takes second, third, fourth, and 27th place, or he's not in the mix of my priorities. He's either number one, or he's out of the picture. Uh-oh. So... Priority defeats this enemy. You know, that's why so many Christians are struggling so much. And they're like wondering why. Why is this, why am I struggling so much to obey Jesus? Or, and this is more of it. Why am I not seeing in my life what the Bible says I should see in my life? And listen, the answer to all of that isn't this, but the answer to a lot of that is this. He's not first. If he were first, a lot of that would just be in order already. 
Put him first, priority. Number five, the fifth enemy of discipleship is miscalculating the cost. Speaking of Disney World, we went back in April and we made a reservation to eat at the Crystal Palace. And if you've ever been to the Crystal Palace, you already know what I'm talking about. You get to eat with Winnie the Pooh and Piglet and Christopher Robin and all of them and then you get the bill. The, for the four of us, my teeny little family, we're not even big folks. We don't eat all that much. It was like $230. I greatly miscalculated the cost before making a reservation at the Crystal Palace. And then I had to pay it anyway because I'd already eaten all those carrots and all the Winnie the Pooh food. I mean, all, it was too late. It was too late. I'm about to read something that's going to make you laugh because you're going to think about Winnie the Pooh here in just a minute. But it was too late and I had to pay it anyway. And a good tip for all those Pooh characters. I didn't mean it like that. We had a great time. Luke 14, a large crowd was following Jesus. Who was following Jesus? Large crowd. And he turned around and said to him, Oh, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. (laughs) That is actually what he said. (laughs) Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Now, was Jesus telling you to hate your family? Somebody needed to hear that now. Jesus wasn't giving you a license to just go hate on people. What he was saying is that you got to love him more than anything and anybody else, right? If I love somebody else more, therefore I try to please them more than I try to please him, I don't love him. Okay? It says, otherwise you can't be my disciple, but, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you what? Count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before you run out of money or before you get the Crystal Palace bill, right? And then everyone will laugh at you like you did at me today. That they would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what, would, uh, what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he'll send a delegation to discuss the terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So, here's the point. You cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Let's, you know, this is what doesn't get preached a lot in church today. Therefore, we have a bunch of fakers, flakes. Help me think of a nicer word. People that just simply, they were told it cost one thing and it really cost something else. And then they couldn't pay it. And actually, it was more they weren't willing to pay it. Okay? Because if I would have known it was $230 to eat at the Crystal Palace before I went, I would have had a choice. Either I'm going to 
save extra and still go eat with poo? Or we'll eat the hot dogs at the front gate, right? Which are also about $100, but anyway. See, let me, just, let me just make it super abundantly clear. Following Jesus will cost you everything. Everything. And it's good to know that from the get-go, so we're not surprised later on. But what we gain from following Jesus is infinitely greater than anything we could ever lose. Go back to, what are we hanging on to anyway? Now, let me make something also abundantly clear. Following Jesus will cost you everything. And as you start following Jesus, you have no idea what that means. You begin to realize it once you... Now, some, you know initial things, like I need to give up this or that, or I need to do this, or I need to stop doing that, or I need to cut that bad tie, or cut that bad addiction, or have... We know some things right away, but there are some things we're not going to know that we're going to have to give to him until we're in the middle of it. This is where it's so key to know what can defeat this enemy of miscalculating the cost. Because sometimes we won't know the full cost until we're presented with it. Are y'all with me? You got to be willing to give everything. That's what it is. Willingness defeats this enemy. I may not know, and today you may have just decided to follow Jesus today. You may be sitting in your seat right there today and making the decision, I want to follow Jesus. Let me tell you, I can't tell you personally everything it's going to cost you. I just know it's everything. It's everything. Whatever that means for you is probably different than what it means for me. And that's why Jesus said we've each got to carry our own cross. He may not ask Miss Diane what he asked Mr. Julian. He may not ask Ted for what he asked Melissa. But I'll tell you what he will ask all four of them and all of us in this room. Everything. And you know what? The the way to defeat the enemy of miscalculating the cost is just be willing to pay it whatever it is. Willingness defeats this enemy. You know, there's a song. I don't even know the the name of the song, but it says, I'll do whatever it takes to keep you here with me. That's got to be our anthem. Jesus, I don't know what all it's going to take, but I'll do whatever it takes to keep on following you because you're worthy of it all. And the sixth one. And this one will probably hurt the most. And like I said, between three and six, I don't know which is more prevalent nowadays, but I think it might be six. The sixth enemy of discipleship is offense. It's a plague. If you turn on the TV, it'll take you negative one second. (laughs) To hear somebody offended about something. Everybody offended about something. I mean, and it's, it's, it's reality. It's our, it's our culture. It's our nation. We're all offended about something. Somebody's violated everybody's rights, right? Right? Come on. 
Everybody's offended about something. Well, what we're about to read is all the disciples got offended at Jesus. And some made it and some didn't. John chapter 6, verse 51. We'll start there. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. Remember, he's speaking to Jews, the Jewish culture. They didn't eat flesh, (laughs) okay? All right, let me keep going. And this bread which I offer so the world may live is my flesh. And all of a sudden, they're already starting to get riled up at Jesus, right? can't believe he said that. Then people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They asked. Now Jesus said again, I'll tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. (gasps) Many of his disciples said, This is very hard to understand, Jesus. (laughs) How can anyone accept it? I think it it was more like, this is really hard to understand, Jesus. How can anyone accept what you're saying? And Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you... See the Son of Man ascend into heaven again. The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort can accomplish nothing. And the very words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. In other words, stop thinking with your nonsense offense. You can only get this spiritually anyway. But some of you don't believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe and who knew who would betray him. And then he said, that is why I said that people can't come to me unless... The Father gives them to me. At this point, many of his what? Many of his what? Disciples turned away and deserted him. Not many of the crowd. Many of his disciples, those that had followed him around everywhere because they believed in him. And then Jesus turned to the 12. Come on, the lead disciples. And he asked, You going to leave too? And Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you're the Holy One of God. Some started discipleship and then stopped when things offended them. Many people today start following Jesus and then stop. When something offends them. Following Jesus will offend you and will cause you to offend others. It just, that, that's just reality. And that's why Jesus said, I didn't, you think I came to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. Not like I came to bring war. No. Like there's going to be a distinction and not everybody's going to like you. But first, the first offense we have to get over is our own offense sometimes with what Jesus says. 
Man, I've been reading the Bible. Come on, I'm a pastor. I've been following Jesus since I was a teenager. I've been a missionary. I preach the gospel around the world. And there's sometimes I read the Bible and I go, man, Jesus, why did you say that? And bear with me. It's okay to feel that. It's extremely important than what you do with that feeling. How many of you... Not even talking about the gospel or the word of God. But you found your, you got offended with somebody or you got offended with something. And later on you realize, I shouldn't have been offended at that. I was wrong. H- have you ever been offended and then got unoffended because you were the dummy? <laughs> I've been the dummy many times, right? I thought he said it like this. And no, he really didn't say it like that. He said it like this. Oh, I'm the silly one here, right? See... Some start and get offended and then stop. But others, and this is, this is, this is where I want to kind of bring it home today. Real disciples get offended and they keep on following Jesus anyway. They keep on going anyway because a true disciple realizes he's right. So the offense I feel is obviously on me. And the one who needs to work these feelings out is me, not him. And see, I think that that's what Peter said. He was saying, because listen, Jesus' uh, statement. Let me just go with this here. I'm going to finish up. Jesus' statement, which, by the way, was truthful. We have to partake of him, right? His flesh, his blood, all that, okay? It was offensive to the entire Jewish culture, including the disciples and including the 12. Even the 12. If they... And this is a call today to boldness. But more than anything else, it's a call today to your commitment to him. They knew that after he said that, if they continued to follow, they were officially offending their culture. They knew it. He had just said something that offended all of them, including them. And if they decided, I'm still going to keep following you anyway, Jesus... They knew for a fact that their culture would be offended by them. It wasn't a maybe. It was a fact. And let me tell you a fact. If you follow Jesus, you will officially offend others. This last week, about five or six days ago, um, I heard a really sad story. There's this um, really respected author. Uh, one of the, I'm not going to say his name because it doesn't matter. But his books helped me and many people in here. He had great revelation. I mean, just an amazing teacher of the word of God. Okay? He helped a whole lot of people follow Jesus. Um, and he decided that not only was he going to divorce his wife and leave the ministry, but he officially renounced faith in Jesus Christ. After years of not only being a believer and a disciple, but after having taught so many people. And you know what he said? One of his main explanations or statements was after all of this. Are you you ready for this? I'm so sorry for all the people I offended by what I taught. He got trapped. 
he offended his culture because he taught the gospel, which, by the way, you don't need to be intentionally offensive or rude. Come on, somebody. The word of God takes care of that. Listen, I've repented many times because the the word of God offended me, and I'm like, oh, yikes, I need to change. But this is just a sad example of our nowadays culture. Listen, if you can't handle offense, you're not going to be able to handle following Jesus. The word of God at times is going to offend your old ways of thinking. But the right answer is this. Even when it offends me, rather than taking the offense personally, I'm going to personally change rather than being offended. Because he's right. When I feel like something is wrong, if he said it, it's automatically right. Period. And I'm the one who needs to change. See, the, the 12, many disciples deserted Jesus. And they, they abandoned him. They left him because they got offended. But the 12, even though they were offended, they just kept on following Jesus. Because I believe that they somehow knew on the inside, we, gotta, we, we obviously don't understand where he's coming from or what he's saying. We're obviously the ones that are wrong. I'm sure maybe later on we'll get it. And that's the the, the attitude we've got to have. Sometimes we're not going to understand everything. Sometimes Jesus is going to say this or ask us for that or lead us in a certain direction. It's going to be like, what? Or you're going to read something in the Bible and go, "I, I don't get that. That even like upsets me. A true follower will say, even if it upsets me, it's the Lord and I'm going to keep on going anyway. We've got to turn our offenses with the word of God into opportunities to change. Because true disciples, a true disciple keeps on following even when we don't understand everything. And just to finish up there, what defeats the enemy of offense? It's loyalty. You ever had a friend that offended you, but you kept on being his friend because you were loyal to him, because you knew who your friend was? You knew your friend's heart. You knew your friend's character. And even though he said something or she did something that hurt your feelings, it offended you, you kept on being their friend and you ended up dealing with that offense and it actually made the relationship better. Any married people in the house ever been through that? (laughs) See, listen. I'm I'm done and we're going to be done All right, loyalty is faithfulness to a relationship loyalty says even if you offend me I'm still going to love you and I'm still going to follow you Jesus communion what Jesus was describing partaking of his flesh and his blood right taking communion the Lord's Supper which is going to happen after that Uh, are you ready this isn't going to be just a let's just take communion nonchalantly no 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 listen When I take communion, 
I am identifying with Jesus in everything that he says. When I take communion, which represents the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm literally saying, I'm all in. I'm going to follow you completely, even when things offend me, even when following you means my life might offend others. Taking communion says, I give up my own way to follow you, Jesus, and I embrace your death. I embrace the cross. I, I, I die to myself in my way. And I don't depend on me or my own righteousness. I depend totally on your precious blood. I depend on the cross. Taking communion is taking up the cross of Jesus. It's not just a sacrament. It's not just something we do every few months because it's what Christians do. It's a declaration. If you would just stand up.